Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Our text tonight's found in Isaiah. If you're from Europe, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those names were given to Jesus, Messiah, 700 years before he was born that would point out and mark his character, what he does, what he's like. So over the last few weeks, we've investigated the meaning of four names given in this text. We've looked already at Wonderful Counselor, we've looked at Mighty God, and we've looked at Everlasting Father. So we're going to close this series tonight, Christmas Eve, with the final title called The Prince of Peace. But I kind of found out this one's a little more difficult to deal with because of our Western culture. <laughs> and on our first investigation, you get a mixed message when it comes to Jesus and peace. <clears throat> I am inhaling the snow. <laughs> and it ain't really snow, okay? I just hope it's non-carcinogenic, whatever it is. <laughs> On one hand, Isaiah clearly speaks of the Messiah as the Prince of Peace. And when the angelic host announced the birth of Jesus to those shepherds, their message was glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. But on the other hand, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword or I've come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foe shall be they of his own family or household. Not only that, it's clear to see that as we look around the world today, there's no peace on earth. You know, year after year, we see the absence of peace in our world. You know, man's inhumanity to man just seems to keep going forward. So how do we reconcile those two ideas? The answer is found in our understanding of that word, peace. Because of our Western culture, we interpret it slightly different, and it messes us up. The term peace, we connect with the absence of any conflict. Now, there have been protesters calling for peace in every war in our country's history, and especially since the Vietnam War. But you don't have to be a pacifist to want peace. The truth is that even soldiers and families long for peace in our world. So in our Western mindset, peace is connected with quiet or a lack of conflict. It's almost like we define peace by what it's not, not war. So if there's no war, there's peace. But the Hebrew word Isaiah used for peace is shalom. That's quite different from what we think in the Western culture. Shalom is used to describe the cessation of hostilities, but the word itself also pictures health, and wholeness, it denotes harmony and completeness. To have shalom is to have not only a quiet life, but also to be fulfilled in every way. In fact, it's possible to have shalom spiritually and personally right in the middle of war, conflict, troubles, or problems. So how is Christ the Prince of Peace? 
So using Isaiah's understanding of peace as shalom, there are two distinct ways Christ fulfills his title as Prince of Peace. So we'll also see the promise as I close of a third future shalom (coughs) or peace on earth. So here we go. Number one, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace because he offers people far from God peace with God. Peace with God. The message of salvation from the Bible, it's called the gospel of peace. Here's what Paul says in Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. In Ephesians 6, verse 15, Paul commands believers to have their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So why is the salvation message called the gospel of peace? The Bible teaches that man is at war with God. And more worrisome, God's at war with man. Why? Because of a three-letter bad word, sin. S-I-N. We're told in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned, everybody, and come short of the glory of God. All you have to do is come short of the glory of God and it's sin. It's like going to a morgue and they got three bodies there. One guy's been dead for three years, one guy's been dead three months, and one guy's been dead three minutes. Which one's the deadest? Who cares? They're all dead. All have come short of the glory of God because all have sinned. So because of our sin, Isaiah tells us all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Have you ever noticed that not one of you parents ever had to give a seminar to your kid on how to misbehave, lie, cheat, or steal? Did you notice it comes with their hardwire in the mainframe? We're born in sin. We go astray from our mother's womb, Scripture says. Those little stinkers, you can't teach them to make the bed or brush their teeth or wash their hands, but boy, they sure know how to lie. They sure know how to do what you don't want them to do and be sneaky about it, don't they? I wonder if anybody ever thought about that. So we've all turned away from God and disobeyed God's commandments, and that waywardness has separated us from God who can't look on sin, who has to judge all sin. So because I'm a sinner at the time, before I'm a believer, God says, I got to judge you, Rick. And there's, I, I don't want, I, you can't come into my presence unless that sin gets judged. It's either going to be you or somebody else. And that's where Jesus comes to the rescue. See, at Christmas time, we're reminded he came to earth as a tiny baby. But good grief, that's not where the history and story ends. That baby was God the Son who grew up, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross in my place to pay my penalty of my sin. He took my place and my judgment. So listen to a prophecy about Jesus by a guy named Zacharias, who's the father of John the Baptist. Here's what he said in Luke chapter 1. He said, Jesus came to give light to them that sat in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So those without Christ are in spiritual darkness. John Newton was a slave trader. When he was converted to Christ, he wrote that song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. So you can have 20-20 vision and be blind as a bat when it comes to your spiritual life. Jesus came to give everybody spiritual light and to guide us in the way of peace, the way of shalom, of spiritual harmony and wholeness that is found only in God. So God's not mad at me. God's not at war with me. 
if I'm in Christ. Why? Because Jesus took that judgment. He took that anger and took that wrath on himself. So God says, I don't have anything against you, Rick. We have peace. You can come into my presence as a son of God. There's no condemnation to those in Christ. You have to go to church to get that. You're listening. It's a fact. We have really messed this up. Jesus did a real powerful thing and made it real simple. And all the church has done is made it complicated. It is just insane. If these uneducated, illiterate fishermen from deadliest catch could catch this message, it can't be that complicated, right? Somebody want to get the little babies here, please? Thank you. We love them. It's okay. They're just being kids. All right. How can you experience peace with God? Well, you trust Jesus as your savior. You don't trust the church. You don't trust religion. You've got to trust this person, Jesus, the son of God. And he shouts out the answer in Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If I believe that he took my pain, my judgment, my sin, and accepted me now as his child, then I have confidence I am justified by faith. I didn't do anything to earn it, can't do anything to make it worthy, no merit on my own. It's a gift. All I can do is reject it or receive it. And Paul says that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are now justified. That's a big theological word. It simply means just as if you had never sinned, justified. A person who is justified can stand before God with no sin, no guilt, no shame, because God already judged it in Jesus, who became my substitute on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm liking that. That's why it's good news. You mean, what did I have to do to earn this, to deserve this? Receive it like a Christmas gift. Thank you. That'd be a good thing to say. Thank you for this incredible gift paid for by you, offered by you, and I only have to receive it. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. I never have a day in my life, and I'll never be judged a day in my life. Never. If you're a believer today, you stand before God perfect. Not your wife, but God. Perfect. Justified. Just as if you'd never sinned. But it's not by anything we've done or by our own goodness or any work that God justifies us. Paul says very clearly, it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. God saves us solely because of what Jesus did on, the Cal on Calvary. Now, Mary didn't die on Calvary. We love Mary, the precious virgin. She's to be honored and revered, but she didn't die on that cross. Buddha didn't die on that cross. Muhammad didn't die on that cross. None of the apostles that you have on your dashboard, none of them died for you. Only Jesus. How simple is that? Don't make it complicated. They had to be saved just like you and me. They had to say, Jesus, thank you for taking my sin, for being the son of God and being the savior of the world. I believe that. I receive that. You say, well, that just sounds too easy. It does sound too easy, but that's because you didn't do anything. You know, eight years ago, nine years ago, a businessman came to this church and gave me a car. I don't know him, never met him, not a member of this church. He handed me the keys and the title. All I had to do was sign it. It was paid for in full, and I have no clue why in the world he would do that with his nice sports car almost 10 years ago. But you know what I did? I said, thank you. Thank you. And I took the keys and received it. And I told everybody in the church that was a gift from a man 
that doesn't belong here that just called me to his office and said, I want to do this. And I thought, well, gee, I don't know if I deserve this or not. Well, gee, you know, I, what can I do? Can I pay you something for it? Well, then it's a purchase. It's not a gift. It's only a gift if you receive it. He paid the bill. He took the cost. All I did was say yes and put the pedal to the metal. <laughs> I say that because it's the same thing about Jesus. See, Jesus died on Calvary. And if you just trust that fact and trust in Jesus to save you, you're justified in God's sight immediately and you're declared everlastingly not guilty. I don't care what condemnation the enemy brings against you. When you go before the court of God because of what Jesus did for you, it's going to, here's the verdict, not guilty, not guilty. Your judgment has already been paid for. And that's the way God will receive you. And some people just can't handle that. I've got to put ashes on my head. I've got to do this. I can't do this. I haven't done that. Or if I do this, then God will love me. And if I do that more, God will love me more. You are in prison. You're in bondage. You are lost as a goose. All you do is receive it. You check these guys out in the New Testament. They are losers. I mean, these guys can't get anything straight. Paul, Peter walks with Jesus three years. And he's going to cut your head off with a sword. Love it. And he cussed a few times while while uh, Jesus was, while this girl said, are you one of his disciples? And his blankety, 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 I don't know the guy, whatever. These are the kind of guys God say. They would be bikers today. They would be gang members. They would not be your pretty nice evangelistic looking little Christian family. They would not be that way. These are bad boys. And by the way, there's some bad girls in the Bible too. And God used them all. And that's good. And we get mad when God uses people we don't like. And God doesn't care. He just uses them anyway. Because if they have faith in him, they're as justified as you are. I love that. I got nothing for you today but good news, okay? We're not booking any guilt trips. This is all good news. So because of what Jesus did and the fact that I say yes and receive him as my Lord and my Savior, there's no barrier now between me and holy God. Rather, I am now reconciled to God and I'm no longer at war with him, and he's not at war with me because his judgment has been satisfied on Christ. So now I have peace with God. Believe in Jesus this evening. Put your faith in him and him alone as your only hope of salvation. I'm sorry, Peter can't help you. Mary's in heaven. She can't help you. Only Jesus can help me, you know? So for salvation, forgiveness, for the forgiveness of my sin and acceptance before God, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he offers everybody, far from God, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've done, he offers you peace with God when you accept Jesus. That's one peace. Here's the second one. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he offers to believers inward peace, what Paul calls the peace of God. You see the difference? Peace with God through Jesus who took my judgment, now peace of God in the life of a believer has to do with being reconciled to God through his son, Jesus. So it's an inward peace, the peace of God that keeps my heart and my mind from going to pieces. It refers to tranquility of the heart and the soul in the middle of life's adversity 
and having peace of mind despite pangs of fear, doubt, depression, temptation, and every other attack to our emotional well-being. You know, if you cut the news off, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, a liberal, conservative, a moderate, a libertarian, you'd be surprised how much peace you might have in 30 days. I don't care what, who you voted for or what administration or what channel you watch. They're all, when I was in marketing at University of South Carolina, they had a statement. It says, if it bleeds, it leads. In other words, if there's no controversy or fear to it, skip it. Put out there to get people to watch, and everything is designed to create fear, watch, uh, ratings, And I don't care what channel you go to, it's all going to just be confusion. If you get off of it for 30 days and then go back on in 30 days, you'll say, shoot, I didn't miss anything. (laughs) This is the same thing going on was going on when I cut it off, except you'll have a lot more peace. I'm not going to let anybody walk into my mind and bring emotional damage to me or fear or depression or discouragement. And boy, during COVID, it was nothing but fear across the nation and the world and everybody was spreading it. And I thought, what happened to your peace? Not being foolish, not being, but having peace. That's this whole peace in your heart. Why are you so troubled? Why are you getting a wedgie? Why are you freaking out? Why are you in a fetal position, sucking your thumb, drinking Maalox, afraid of everything? I, I just refuse to allow anybody into my head to do that to me. I walk in the confidence of God's peace that he's with me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He, he will bear me up on eagle's wings. He will protect me from the evil. And even if I have to go through a fiery furnace or I have to go through any kind of a setback, he'll be with me in that problem and will never forsake me. So why should I freak out? Right? I mean, just calm down. Chicken little, the sky is not falling. Come on. Shortly before leaving the disciples to go to the cross, Jesus gave all of us a wonderful promise in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. I'm giving to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't know how to experience inner peace, peace of God. And Jesus refers to it because they don't understand how to activate it. And the reason is found in a little word called let. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So in my house, whatever happens with the kids or the grandkids or in life or the church or the government or what's, I'm the one always saying, calm down, baby, calm down. It's a peace, peace. Now that's peace of God. Be still. God's got this. Don't freak out because it shows your confidence is in the, your focus is on the circumstance, not your trust in God. So, so help people if you've got, you know, you would think some of you my age and have been a Christian 20, 25 years, you ought to have enough history with God to calm down. This, I mean, there's nothing new in the world, disease, political unrest, instability, crime. Tell me what changed. It's just, it's like, hey, I've got enough history with God to realize I've been to this circus before, got a t-shirt. God's got me. He had me all the, if you killed a lion, a bear, God will take down the giant too. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. So I never sow that fear as a father into my family or over my, I'm the, the one that settles them down. Peace, calm down. 
So the problem for the believer is that they let their hearts be troubled. Jesus implies that when we lose our shalom, there's something that we do in ourselves, something totally unnecessary. Let me illustrate. A man went to a psychiatrist and he said, every night, doc, when I get into bed, I think somebody's under my bed. So I get up, I look under the bed and there's never anybody there. And this goes on all night up and down, up and down, up and down. It's driving me crazy. Do you think you can help me? And the doctor says, I think I can. All you have to do is visit me twice a week for the next two years. I think I can cure you. It'll cost you $75 a visit or about 7,500 bucks. Uh, and Medicare doesn't cover it. And the man said, that's pretty steep for a working man like me. I'm going to talk it over with my wife and I'll get back to you. The next week, the man called the psychiatrist and he said, thanks, doc, but I won't be coming back. My wife didn't like your price per visit, so she solved the problem. And the doctor, totally startled, says, how'd she do that? The man said, she cut the legs off the bed. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to get under it now. See, God wants to saw the legs off our worries and our anxieties, but we can only do that when we let him. We're not to let our hearts be troubled. So how can we do that? Isaiah chapter 26, verse three, says thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in you. Now I've quoted that thousands of times in sermons and counseling, but a deeper study of that passage helped me understand God's inward peace in a way I hadn't noticed before. And the words in the Hebrew that Isaiah used hold the key. First, he used the word keep, which means to guard, protect, to hide. Thou will keep him. Then Isaiah is teaching that those who meet God's condition are protected by the Lord because they are hidden in, guarded by, and protected by him. That doesn't mean that we're kept from trouble. No, sir. But we're hidden in the one who walks with us through the trouble. Uh, Jesus didn't keep the disciples from the storm, but he was with them in the storm and he hid them from its harm. The storm could only do to them what he allowed and he would only allow that which was for their good. And let me pause and say this. Most of us would like to be delivered out of and sometimes God delivers in. He delivered Daniel in the lion's den. I don't know about you, but I'd kind of prefer to be out he delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, not out of it. But he was with them in it. Do you see? I don't know what you're facing, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you need the peace of God because he's with you in the circumstance you're facing right now. And I guarantee you, he's not biting his fingernails worried. And I have to keep my mind stayed on him, not on what Fox News or CNN has to say or what somebody else in the church has to say, or what the enemy may want to say to my mind. I have control of that. And the second thing is the word perfect. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. And that's in Isaiah 26. Now that word perfect is not in the Hebrew. It doesn't exist. So why did all the translators put it there? It's because of an unusual pattern you're going to enjoy in just a minute used by Isaiah when writing this passage in Hebrew language. Isaiah actually puts this word peace 
in a sentence twice. So it actually reads in the Hebrew, you will keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in you. Now, we don't do it often in English, but in English grammar, saying a word repeatedly for emphasis is referred to as reduplication. For instance, Winston Churchill once said, never, never, never give up. Now, you could hardly miss his emphasis. The French do it too. I was in Paris preaching this year as well. It's the word bon, B-O-N. Bon in French means good. A special candy, one that is really, really good, is called a bonbon, which literally means good, good. Did you know that? No, you didn't know that. You can talk about it after service. Did you notice that I used reduplication when I said a bonbon is really, really good because my wife wanted me to bring some back, and I did, and I ate a few of them, and it is good, good. So Isaiah literally was saying that God would give those who meet his condition peace, peace. And this peace, peace is not like the world's peace. Listen again to John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Did you know that Jesus repeats peace in that verse multiple times? He says it twice in the same sentence. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. This is not just peace as the world gives. It's bonbon peace. It's good, good peace. It's peace, peace. It's what the translators call perfect peace, which is why every version that I consulted translated it as perfect peace. But here's the key. There's a condition to obtaining this peace. So who does Isaiah say can have that peace, peace? He whose mind is stayed steadfastly fixed on thee because he trusts in you. See, I really trust that the Lord loves me, has a plan for my life, has my days numbered in a book, and the enemy can't take me out until God gives him permission. He can attack me, but he can't take me out. God told Satan, you can touch Job, but you cannot kill him. You get a better view of God and you realize the enemy is on a leash. He can do some damage, but he can't take you out. COVID cannot take me out unless God permits it. I, he expects me to use good sense. I understand that. But at the same time, he expects me to trust ultimately in him. When you look at the wild claims of all the doctors and medical professions, I, I wouldn't give you 10 cents for them. I mean, I wouldn't trust any of them. All the conflicting reports, but I do trust the Lord. And by his stripes, I am healed. He paid the legal price for my healing on the cross, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. He took my sin, my sickness, my disease, my pain, my infirmity on himself, ju was judged for it, and says, by my stripes now you are healed. You are begotten of God, the wicked one touches you not. He can't do a thing to me without God's permission. And if God permits it, then he works everything for good to them that love God and are called to his purpose. Everything that happens to me and you is not good. But God says in Romans 8, 28, I'll work it for your good and for the glory of God. So calm down. Have a latte after the service. Go in the coffee shop. Get you a hot chocolate. Calm down. Have some peace, okay? Our minds, they've got a tendency to fix our focus, our minds, on our circumstance. Things that go wrong. People in our lives who rub us the wrong way. Isaiah said that we have to steadfastly keep our focus 
on the Lord, on his word, on his promise. If we don't, we allow Satan to build mental strongholds, which can only be taken captive by divine power, bringing every thought into captivity and making them obedient to Christ. But here's the most important word in Isaiah 26, 3, trust. God's peace, peace comes to those who steadfastly fix their mind on the Lord because they trust in him. Surely, after all these years, some of you my age, don't you think you can trust him? You're going to trust Washington? You're going to trust the government? You're going to trust a billionaire? Are you going to, who are you going to trust? I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. Whatever he promises me, he will do. He said to Israel, not one word that I promised you has fallen to the ground or failed. He said, heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away laws in Congress and bills on the table, they'll change everything in our culture. And we're watching it happen and it will continue to happen. But God says, whatever I said, I don't have Alzheimer's. I don't have dementia. I meant what I said. I said what I meant and it's eternal. And heaven and earth will pass away before one period or comma ever passes away. So I'm taking God's word to the bank where it's clear I'm standing on that word. So this word, trust, is the key to not letting your hearts get troubled. We are to trust in him, the Lord. And to trust means let go and depend on something or somebody else. For example, when you and I were little kids, we didn't take sleeping pills. We didn't worry about the bills or a job or health or health insurance or having enough food. <laughs> we just figured our parents would take care of it. We didn't worry about that. We didn't have any stress about it. You trusted in him to take care of those things. Real peace means trusting Jesus to take care of the details of my life. And I find it ironic that at Christmas time, when we're celebrating the birthday of the Prince of Peace, when the universal sentiment is peace on earth, goodwill to men, the Christians are often in great turmoil and trouble and disquieted. The tree to buy, put up decorations, fighting traffic, crowds buying everybody a special gift, Christmas cards to mail to people special in our lives, the Christmas parties that must be attended, assembling Johnny's toy at 3 a.m. that comes in 300 pieces, instructions written in Chinese. Yeah. And you think about it. Is it any wonder so many Christians lose their peace at Christmas time? We're celebrating the birthday of the Prince of Peace, but we're about to pull our hair out with frustration and turmoil. It's not peace on earth, goodwill towards men. You feel but sometimes... It's a little closer to murder. <laughs> you laugh, but you know that more suicides take place during Christmas season than any other time of the year, or that more people become depressed in this season than any other time in the year, or that marital problems tend to become more pronounced during this season. For some, Christmas is a recipe for exasperation, certainly not shalom. So this Christmas, fix your focus steadfastly on God and put your trust in him and experience God's peace, peace. And last, third point, last point. Someday, Jesus will be the prince of peace on a literal future kingdom on earth. So the peace the prince of peace gives us now is spiritual and it's emotional and it's personal. But outside of our hearts and minds, the world we live in is filled with war, hate, conflict, political infighting, social division, injustice, greed, and murder. And the longing of hearts of people around the world is, 
Can we have peace on earth and goodwill towards men? Not just peace in our hearts. So unfortunately, mankind or political parties can never usher in peace on earth, no matter how hard they try. They've never done it, never will do it. But someday, Jesus will establish everlasting peace. One day, the Prince of Peace will come back. One day, the Lord of Glory, who came as a little baby, was placed in a manger and was held in Mary's arms, will return as a reigning king on a white stallion. The return of Jesus to bring us peace on earth is mentioned over 318 times in the Bible. And as Jesus kept the first promise to come, let me tell you, he'll keep the second one too. It'll be a great time, a time of unparalleled that's in human history. Jesus is coming to set up a kingdom of peace on planet Earth. He says swords will be bleating into plowshares. The Middle East problem will be permanently solved. There will be no injustice, for Christ himself shall rule on Earth. There will be no racism, no corrupt government, no terrorist. There will even be peace in the natural world where Isaiah says lions will lie down with lambs. Leopards will lie down with baby goats. Cattle and bears and lions will switch over to eating herbs. Babies will be able to put their hands down into the hole of a serpent and a viper without harm. I'm not big into that one, but uh, okay. Sounds good. And after a thousand years of kingdom rule on this present earth by the Prince of Peace, God says he will destroy the heaven and earth, and create a new heaven and a new earth where Christ's kingdom of peace will now last forever. So it's wonderful to already know Jesus, but let me tell you the best is yet to come. And as we close, let me ask you a question. Do you long for peace with God? Are you troubled in your heart? Are you still at war with God because of sin that separates him from you? Are you under the belief that he would never accept you based on where you come from? what you have in your past. Do you understand you can have peace with God now by trusting his son, the Lord Jesus? And I urge you to accept him today. Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. In other words, I'll give you peace, peace. Are you troubled and tossed about in your soul because you haven't trusted God in the midst of a trial? or your focus is not on him, but on your circumstances, and you're a believer, why don't you slow down? Reorient yourself to what's really important at Christmas. And that's my relationship with God. I settled that when I was 18 years old. I've had a lot of doubts in my life about many things, but I've never doubted that Jesus paid my debt of sin on the cross, and that when I pass from this earth at whatever age or circumstance, I will be with him in eternity. I have peace with God and I have the peace of God. COVID can't take that away. Crime can't take that away. War can't take that away from me. I'm not gonna allow anything because I have that eternal life through Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. So I have no condemnation. Like I say, sometimes you have to go to church to find it, but with God, there is none. If Jesus paid it all, what are you going to add? Nothing, see? So focus on him, on what he's done for you, on what his word promises you, and place your trust in the God of the universe to take care of your problems. Either you're going to say, like the great theologians, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, we can work it out, or help, I need somebody, not just anybody, and that's somebody is Jesus. And never forget, 
you can experience peace with God and the peace of God. And the best peace of all is yet to come someday. Jesus will bring peace to this troubled world once and for all. So keep your eyes on that future king like a little child and trust him. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.